Like a $20 bill that you found in a jacket you hadn't worn in a while. A podcast on a weekend. This is Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. I'm JP Chunga, joined by David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz and huge draft head. We're talking his draft prospect that he loves and all the others that should be around 23 for the Utah Jazz. Weekend pod means we have plenty ahead as we are zeroing in on Wednesday's draft. Mike Schmitz of ESPN, he's going to be on their coverage. And also Mark Titus of Fox Sports. Those two podcasts are coming up. Titus is going to be a little bit different from what you've been hearing so far, but he's got Mike Conley stories and a lighter look at the draft. Make sure you don't miss the ones that we've already done. Jay Billis is already out there, and also General Manager Justin Zanuck in a nice 20-minute interview that we were able to catch up with him. Wherever you found this podcast, that's where you'll find the others. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Once again, draft coverage brought to you by University of Utah Health. It's the number one ranked hospital in Utah by U.S. News for seven straight years. 11 through 15 now. We've been doing it. Groups of five. ESPN's top 30. And this group could be affected if one of the top guys decides to drop at 11. He's getting a lot of talk from Florida State. Devin Vassell. From Georgia, 6'5", guard with a 7-foot wingspan. Played in that platoon, but got 28 minutes a night. It was his first year starting for that squad, and he's a shooter. 42% from three, 74% from the free throw line. He can offensive rebound. He's a well-rounded player, according to his coach, Leonard Hamilton. But the most effective way that he played on the floor was his defense. Sometimes you catch a, a college player who isn't giving great effort. Not a problem for Devin Vassell. That could also be a product of the way that they play at Florida State with all those hockey shifts. But he impressed. Second team All-ACC. Got minutes as a freshman when he was the only scholarship one on the roster. He didn't show off the bounce skills. But the way Hamilton runs his team, don't have those opportunities. He'll be a 3 and D guy for whoever drafts him. Number 12. He's been on the radar for draft nuts throughout the entire process. Precious Ashua, 6'9", 225, out of Memphis. Took over all the load once James Wiseman was named ineligible. It was him and Wiseman who were the big recruits for Penny Hardaway in that team. He jumped off the page at a McDonald's All-American game. What's concerning, and you'll hear this in our conversation with Locke, older for his age. 21 right now. Needs to develop a better feel for the game. Sometimes erratic. But he was that meme of Dennis Rodman describing how to find rebounds. 11 boards as a freshman. The most of any freshman in Division I. Grew up playing soccer and stopped at the 8th grade so he has a little bit of footwork. He can play 5 because of his strength and rebounding. He's one of the bigs that scouts are loving. Number 13, Cam Johnson territory. Aaron Neesmith out of Vanderbilt. He's the best shooter in the draft. That's why someone might reach to go get him. 
66213 from South Carolina. He started as a four-star recruit and has the character to boot. Was deciding between Vandy and Harvard. He has a seven-foot wingspan. What's concerning is that he has stress fracture in his foot. Only played 14 games, but in four of those contests, seven or more three-pointers. 52% from three. 83% from the free-throw line. He has a skill that is prioritized in this league. There are so many young players in this draft where you're thinking, God, can he shoot? Does he have touch? Neesmith has it. Tremendous character and just the right type of player that could impress in Zoom interviews. 14, RJ Hampton. 6'5", 190 guard out of New Zealand via Dallas. Played prep ball with number 15, Tyrese Maxey, and he was going to be recruited by all the top schools, yet opted to go overseas to start his career. He was an amazing prep player. 2,800 total points. He's a good offensive player, but the concern is maybe no elite skills. There's not one thing that pops off the page. So for LaMelo, it's his passing, playmaking, handle. For Killian Hayes, it's that James Harden step back. Hampton had moments where he struggled. 40% from the field, 30% from three, 68% from the free throw line. Now he's projected as a combo guard, so he'll be relied on to get his own shot. But it was tough playing in New Zealand against pros. And he's the type of player that was on the scene early with the USA teams, with the U16s, U17s. He's been there all along. His bud Tyrese Maxey impressed at Kentucky. 6'3 with a 6'8 wingspan. Played on the U18s for the USA. Maxey thrived in transition. What I enjoyed is seeing him and Ashton Hagens being an awesome backcourt combo as far as defending. He's a defender first. He did an interview with Mike Schmitz that really impressed me, where the entire time he's bright, he has good attitude, and he's taking the instruction well. He's developed a floater as of late. He keeps with that. It can serve him to Tony Parker levels. I might lean Maxi more due to the fact that I've seen him, but pretty fitting that 14-15 are R.J. Hampton and Tyrese Maxey. So, that's 11 through 15. We're getting closer and closer to 23. So stick around for next podcast. Draft coverage, once again, brought to you by University of Utah Health, the trusted healthcare provider for the Jazz family and yours. Visit uofuhealth.org slash jazz. Let's get to David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, also Locked On NBA and Locked On Jazz. He does deep dives. When I was able to find David first, it was through these draft breakdowns. He did them on YouTube. He had a lot of joy in doing them and going back over the college game. He views it from an NBA perspective. How can skills translate? We started talking about the media availability that Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck had on Friday. They spoke to the media, and I asked David what he took away from the session. I mean, I asked the question, so it's obviously what I was most interested in, but... uh... What I think so interesting when you look at this draft and any draft is like, what is the skill you believe to be teachable? 
uh, either, and what I actually thought was interesting was I was asking it like dribbling, shooting, passing, something of that sort. And then he answered it in like the fact that teachable was a skill in and of itself, that you're, that they're looking for players that actually are teachable. So I had taken it to the next level. Like I, I there's some players in this draft that I think, you know, God went into their bag of tricks and gave them all of the, all of them. And then there's some other players in this draft who, you know, he only gave them some of the, some of the wonderful athleticisms and, so I was kind of curious, like, what's a teachable skill? Do you believe you can teach a player to dribble? Do you believe you can teach a player to pass? Do you believe you can teach a player to see passes? Do you believe you can teach a player to shoot? And what I thought was interesting about Dennis's answer is it was the first concept was actually we want to find out whether we think a player is actually teachable rather than what skills are teachable. I thought that was really interesting. That's going to be huge when it comes to the interview process of – getting these guys into Zooms, what are they going to talk about? What what are they going to highlight? How do they perform on that end? I spoke to Justin Zanuck the other day for one of these podcasts and that Round was- Round Ball Roundup, by the way. Yeah, oh, you gotta subscribe, five stars, nice reviews, that's all uh, I ask. Follow on Spotify, subscribe on iTunes. Please do. He mentioned how these Zooms and the way that they, they approach them, it's all about figuring out the type of person they are. The Celtics are very famous for trying to get the personality profile of players and and diving in that way. COVID's going to be the top story for me for the rest of the year, because unfortunately people need, need it to be elevated in their consciousness. COVID affecting this draft via the Zoom interview, how they perform in that, that's the other thing that I think you have to really consider when it comes to who you're going to be drafting in, in this year. So there's a great story. Uh, I'm going to leave out all the people involved just because sometimes, but it's a great, so there's a draft old draft story about these guys do a workout and they're meeting with a head coach of an NBA team. This is probably back in, Oh, this is, I don't want to give the exact year, but I'm trying to think like I came back to Utah. So this is about 15, 16 years ago. And, uh, the two guys like either had like pagers and like were in the middle of the interview with a head coach and like checked their pager and one of them didn't take their hoodie off. And the head coach was like, get the beep out of here to both of you. And it turns out like both of them had 10 year careers, but both of them were like problematic 10 year careers. So I actually think some of the zoom stuff's interesting. Like, how often did this happen while well, there was an interview going on where someone like checked their phone or I've got the masters on. So like how many times did I check here and not pay attention to what's in front of me? I think there's some aspects of the zoom that could allow for some insight into the focus and teachability of these kids in a way that maybe we wouldn't have had otherwise. One strategic, they mentioned on the press availability, they only get 10 workouts where you're bringing these guys into Salt Lake City. Who are you choosing for those workouts? Which ones are you going to be going out to those agent pro days? Anthony Edwards, Tyrese Maxey one that was on ESPN that got agents all in a hubbub over. Where are you going to allocate your resources so that you're going both ways to try and cover this entire spectrum? A lot of draft picks and and who are you going to focus in on that's that's the big board that everybody's going to be looking at did the media become more important in this draft than others 
because of the amount of time that scouts and general managers had to read reports and watch video and see interviews. I'm certain they are sick of watching the videos by now. Conference tournaments end. Everything's on pause. You have that little week of doing nothing, but back uh, when you're going into work, you're watching all these clips again and, and again and over and over watching so much film. How much tape can you eat over this thing? I get sometimes fatigued and I'm not even eating as much tape as they are. Well, and I don't even know, I, I always have had, Walt Parent and I used to discuss this all the time about like how much, how many games do you really have to watch, right? Like, you know, okay, so a player plays 32 games if you had a sample size, you know, to get 95%, if you're just using data points, right? You wouldn't actually need all 32. You don't need Shamanad. Right, there. yeah. Like I, I end up watching, I don't think I'd be good enough to draft, but I end up watching probably most of these players play two games. Now that's not enough, but I always choose like, I just watched Mississippi State play Kentucky because Robert Woodard was guarding quickly, right? Two draftable prospects in the same range. Like, let's watch them play head to head. But do I really need to watch Emmanuel quickly play some guy who's never going to play in the NBA in his whole life? Like, I always, you know, I think that's like sometimes like Dante Exum, who had such little tape, was unbelievable a bunch of in those games against a bunch of players that never, ever, ever were going to sniff the NBA and wasn't very good against USA in that one game where he guarded, was guarded by Marcus Smart. Like, I, I'm not saying you got to ignore the other stuff, but it does question to me whether it's, like, that valuable to watch all 30 games. And when I'm watching – if I'm watching synergy clips, how many of those 100 pick and rolls – that Malachi Flynn ran are actually against anybody with NBA talent. Like, I think it's really complicated. For me, I look at one, the Ken Palm tier A, tier B games. Those are the games that if, if I'm going to watch them, it's, it's one of those two high level competition. And then I get a little skittish on the internationals because how good's the league was um as competitive as Euro league. Not a chance. Well, Pokashevsky is like this unbelievable guy, but like he's playing Aaron Falk. Exactly. Right? Like he's really playing like he's in these Olympiacos second tier league, like Aaron Falk is guarding him. So, and I, you know, so like he's amazing, but the number one question on Pokashevsky, who's this seven foot, 200 pound Serbian who's not actually on the Serbian national team yet probably will be Igor's the head coach of that team Igor Kakashkov um and he's really really skilled and like the highlight videos are kind of awesome but like the number one thing you want to know is what happens to this kid when he gets hit and there's like no video of him ever getting hit and the body doesn't look it I mean you look he's real thin in in the clips that you're watching and and how he's going to do it uh, was, were there any other internationals that caught your eye? For me, I have, I have me, not watched. You've watched them more than I have. You, oh. who, who have you seen? Who do you, you've watched the internationals more than I have. I have not watched them. So I was impressed by Leandro Balmaro play for Barcelona. And is he getting the most time that he, he could ever get out there? No, but being able to compete at that level, that's the same same sort of deal that you're going to have. You're going to have a skills uh, day after you have practice one day. It's, it's the same sort of rigors of the NBA being at that competitive mindset. 
I trust what I see with Bomaro and can he and shoot? How he can do. Always the question: Can you teach that? That's what so, you asked. I don't think you can teach touch. Mm-hmm. I think you can teach shooting, but you can't teach touch. So I think that's like, you know, like I don't think Ricky Rubio has very good touch. Like, I think we saw that kind of some of his passing and some of those things as good a passer he is. Like when it had to be really, some of those things actually aren't that accurate with him. So he didn't have great touch. So I don't think you could ever have taught Ricky Rubio how to be a, a, an elite level shooter, I think. But they certainly improved him from what? A 36% shooter to like a 42% shooter. So does he have touch? And I, you know, sometimes that's layups. Sometimes that's free. That's why free throw percentage translates better to NBA three-point shooting percentage than any other statistic. Like, do you think he, Balmero has touch? I don't know if he has touch. I know he's, he's creative as a ball handler. I know he can step up defensively on day one. Touch is, is where it, that could be more wanted. But, but those are the, the internationals that you see in the Jazz's range. Like Killian Hayes, whoa, he has touch. He, he, he understands. Only it. on the left hand. It's, it's only one-sided, yeah. It's, it's one-way traffic, but he has touch. Avdia, I've heard him compared to Joe Ingles. Shades of him. He has touch. And Avdia is playing at a, at a really competitive uh, level with Maccabee Tel Aviv. Joe's really big. Like, I think people miss how big it's six, seven. Like, Joe's a, like, I think people miss Joe's size and length as a, in that position when they start comparing people. I'm not sure, you know, obviously it's been talked about like four. I'm not sure I'm drafting Joe Ingles fourth in a draft either. Um, what about Theo Maladin? I have not seen him at all, and he keeps popping up all across jazz. Um, mock drafts by everybody. I'm a little confused why everybody thinks we need a point guard. I think we have three of them. Um, so I'm a little confused why everybody keeps having us draft another point guard, but um, what is your, what is your thought on Theo Maladon? I've not seen him at all. Maladon. I heard from Schmitz this morning, just talking to him playing uh, as someone who could be a shooter. 79% from the free throw line, 36 from three. He split time in his league at point. So he wasn't necessarily playing that position throughout. I'm surprised at least in the clips that I watched and in the, the sit down that Schmitz did with him was how little mistakes that they were showing. And it's not as if Schmitz isn't going to show those mistakes, but just on the ball, not making mistakes, having that assisted turnover ratio in the area of Tyrese Halliburton, who's somebody that, that everybody loves, the fact that he's a great decision maker. That's where Maladon excels in, yeah, I mean, point guard depth on this team. You have, you have Mike, one, Donovan, two. I think those are pretty good options. And then you have creator Joe Ingles, point, point guard at uh, six, seven. Who are those college guys that you like? I think it's interesting, uh, just on my end, that so many uh, mock drafts are having so many Pac-12 guys because that's the league that I watch as much as anything during the season. And usually I'm playing catch-up on the other leagues, at least nowadays. But I've seen so much of Josh Green. I've seen so much of Jaden McDaniels. I've seen so much of Isaiah Stewart that I think I have a little bit of more of a handle than, than usual when it comes to the college guys out of this draft. Let's start big picture. There have been a lot of drafts. Uh, the, the Torian Prince, George Hill trade draft is the one that comes to mind. Jakob Pertle draft. 
where I've watched college players and not found anyone I like. Like a lot of drafts where you're like, wow, I do not like many of these players or whatever they did in college is not what they're going to do in the pros. And I can't tell at all. I feel very differently about this draft watching at 23. So Josh green has a bunch of things. I like Jaden McDaniels. If we're really honest about what we watched in his games, there's actually not a lot to like, but he's six, nine, 210 pounds. And they gave him a gift. Like I'd like to figure out if he's a one or two foot jumper. I'm not certain on that. Like I need him to be a one foot jumper to really believe in him. And I can't, there weren't enough plays around the rim where I could really tell. So I'm a little concerned on that end. If someone has that answer, I'd love to know. Um, uh, who, you know, I just think Malachi Flynn, I kind of love Malachi Flynn, but he's 22 years old and six, three and maybe six, one. Um, so there's reason they're all at 23 that they're not at 12 in a, you know, it's a, not a top heavy draft. So if they were stars, they'd be top heavy, but it's a pretty flat draft. And I think it's a pretty long tail draft. Like, I think there's something to really like about a lot of players floating around here. Isaiah Stewart plays super hard. The freshman at Arizona, uh, whose last name is escaping me because it's got a double N to start. Zaji. Like there's a little bit of skill. There's a bunch of little pieces of that puzzle that you can start to put it together and get pretty excited about. I've kind of almost made a joke about Robert Woodard who nobody likes, but me. Um, What's the case? Tell me the case. God went into his bag of tricks and gave him every athletic skill imaginable. Before we get back to David, wanted to let you know this podcast is brought to you by University of Utah Health. U of U Health sports medicine experts give you the same care they give the Jazz because you belong in the game as much as anyone. Call 801-587-2222 or go to sportsmed.uofuhealth.org. He's six, seven, or eight. He's 235 pounds. He has a seven foot, two and a half reach. He's like plus five on reach. He's a one foot jumper. If he gets an edge, it's over. I think just, I, I don't see the lack of feel that everyone talks about. Um, I actually saw really good passes in the four games I've watched. I saw him anticipate defensively for a steal a game. Um, his defense at times is atrocious, but I actually think he could be a secondary rim defender because he jumps out of the gym. And I think secondary rim defenders are going to become the most important thing in this league defensively because everyone's pulling the primary rim defender off the, out of the uh, key with space. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of things I can tell you. I mean, he had the worst closeout I've ever seen on Emmanuel quickly in the Mississippi state Kentucky game. And he had like three or four possessions where it would have been really cool if it looked like he was trying um, at the same. So let's make sure I'm not like, but I, but like if I was a GM and I went to my head coach and said like, here you go. Like it's the greatest Christmas gift ever. He's got everything and his guards were so terrible. Yeah. The amount of one and no pass possessions at Mississippi State this year was disgusting. And then when they did ran, run sets, like Ben Hallen's an awesome college coach, so I don't mean to like set, but like 
the amount of times that Robert Woodard runs to 34 feet, catches a pass, might take a dribble and moves it to someone else. Like, there's nothing this guy at 6'8", 235 is going to do. Like, if he's making plays at 31 feet, he's the second pick of the draft. Mm-hmm. So, like, the collegiate game is so different than the NBA game, which is a nice way to say it's terrible uh, most of the time, that, like, trying to find plays where you watch a player and they're actually having a similar experience to what they're going to have in the NBA, to me, is, like, so few and far between. So, like, when I watch him play, I think it was Kentucky or maybe it was Vanderbilt, or there was a play where they made a free throw, the other team did, Mississippi State, and they push it ahead, and all of a sudden Robert Woodard catches it on the right wing at 25 feet and the team didn't get all the way back and he takes two dribbles and packs it with a right hand in the open floor off one foot I'm like okay I'll take that kid like Mm -hmm. that's an elite like I watch Josh Green and I really like Josh Green I've not seen Josh Green get on top of the cup yeah I I, now is that because Arizona has no space is that because Nico Mannion touches has the ball in his hands all the time Or is that because Josh Green actually's athleticism, which is really, really good, is not actually NBA athleticism in the same way that he can get on top of the cup? I actually don't know that I think Josh – I have not seen Josh Green get on top of the cup. Robert Woodard, I've seen get on top of the glass. Right. Tell me why you think Robert Woodard's terrible, Shunga. I don't think he's terrible. (laughs) I don't think he's terrible at all. I just want to hear the case. I see 64% free throw shooter, and we're talking about how – transferable All right. shooting can go, that's the better indicator than the college three-point line where he shot it well. I mean, if he doesn't have touch, as you mentioned earlier, that's a problem. Then yep, 100%. Second-round draft pick. I mean, and he's Travion Graham. Right. Now, here's the other rule when I watch college players that I think about. Okay, I call it the Charles Barkley-Andre Miller rule. When you cop someone to someone and there's only one of them, and then that's a problem. So, like, Andre Miller, I use him because he's you. But, like, 6'4 guard, limited athleticism, doesn't get off the ground, average shooter, 14-year NBA career. Okay. So, you tell me when Kendall Marshall's coming out, out of North Carolina a few years ago, that he's the next Andre Miller, and guess what? He can't play in the league. Yeah. Because he's Aaron Kraft. Right? Like... Andre Miller was a one in a million anomaly. Charles Barkley at six, five power four, different game. Right. But there was like this litany of players that came out in the years that followed Byron Houston and Clarence Weatherspoon and all these guys. Everyone's like, Oh, they're the next Charles Barkley. No, no, they're actually not. Cause you know how many Charles Barkley are? There's one, but you know how many guys are six, eight, two that like just spend eight years in the NBA. There's a ton. So, like, when I look at Robert Woodard, I look at Josh Green at 6'5", 210, I think it is, with about a, what has he got, about a 6'10", 6'11", wingspan. Like, I can find 30 comps on him. And maybe he develops all the skills and becomes a star, unlikely in both their cases. Maybe they become a NBA starter. Maybe they become an eighth man. Okay, on all of those scenarios, 23rd pick, I'm ecstatic. Like, I watch watch Robert Woodard and think of him in Royce O'Neal's role. Okay, now, is he that tough? Probably not. Is he that 
Like Royce is really tough, right? We all know the story about the tooth coming out. Yep. But Royce like was not known as a, he shot actually pretty well at Baylor, but like he's developed that. He's figured out to be a really good spot up shooter. Can Roy, does Royce have any wiggle in his dribble? No. Does he have a really good straight line dribble? Yes. If you gave Robert, I have never seen in a half court set, Robert Woodard get a ball at Mississippi state with an advantage ever. Royce O'Neal in Quinn Snyder's offense gets a ball with an advantage about six times a night. If you give me Robert Woodard on those six chances, he's dunking five of them. So that's why I like the kid. Like now, does he have the feel? I I don't know. Does he actually have three? I've not, I don't know that he has three dribbles in a row, right? Like that's actually a funny number, but it's actually a big number in the league. So a lot of guys that can't dribble three, Josh Green actually doesn't show a lot of highlights dribble three, four, five times in a row. Like that's, that's a skill. Um, so, you know, all these guys, I think, you know, there, there's pieces of a puzzle that the coaches are trying to meld in the case of Robert Woodard. And I may be wrong. We may laugh about me like loving Robert Woodard in five years when he never has the internal makeup to play in the league, but like I'm giving a coaching staff a full collection of the puzzle. Like here's a hundred piece puzzle and here's a hundred pieces. Most of these guys, here's a hundred piece puzzle. Here's 74 of the pieces and see if you can make it look good. Okoro might be the guy that you're thinking Robert Woodard might be projected to. I've seen clips where he's dunking on Kyler Kelly, who's seven, two in a camp. He has that athleticism, straight dribble that you're also talking about. In every game I've watched him, he's drawn a foul because he gets up on the ball handler, powers his way through the pick. The picker has to take a step up so it's a moving pick. He draws an offensive foul in every game because he's that strong and that athletic. It's pretty awesome. Now, on the other end, we're talking about him like the fifth pick of the draft. I don't know that he can shoot. I don't know he can dribble. And he could be Travion Graham too. true. There are, and his body's amazing. He, I will admit, on Okoro, and this is only because his body is so awesome, he, he nervously reminds me of Stanley Johnson. Stanley Johnson had the most awesome body in the whole world at Arizona, and there was a moment where you watched him and you were like, okay, I can't figure out what he can be as an NBA player because – he's so much more physically gifted than every other player he's playing right now that it's hard to tell. Okoro is the same thing. He's so unbelievably physically gifted, but when he's being guarded by an NBA player, he'll just be gifted like every other NBA player. So I think he's, I don't think that's the case for him, but I did have that thought while watching him. I was like, gosh, who's the last guy I've seen who's this much more physically talented than everybody else? And my answer was actually Stanley Johnson. Hmm. Was he older though? Was he one of those playing older to play down? Like a Cole Anthony, Cole Anthony does that. This is the first number I check on every kid. Like how old were they? Are they an 18-year-old freshman or Did a they reclassify? Yeah, yeah. Anthony Edwards has that in his favor. He's, pl- he's young playing up. Right. So I believe, like, Cole Anthony, it's the Shabazz Muhammad rule, right? Shabazz Muhammad evidently, like, was held back a year, so he was old, and then evidently they lied about his age another year. So he looked great because he was actually a 10th grader playing 8th graders. 
and then he was a senior actually as a sophomore in, actually was a sophomore in college as a senior in high school is what he should have been and so he looked great the whole time yeah i checked that immediately i don't recall on a coro i do know that cole anthony is a year old what do you think of cole anthony because I, I think he got a lot of the stink of that team being bad. Thank you. That we're not we're not seeing that he was actually playing in a really, really, really bad team. How how he actually has skills. Like, back to Aaron Falk, he might have been the best shooter on North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. I mean, I have like so I'm watching Cole Anthony the other day, and I just keep freezing my screen, and then hitting fast forward for thirty seconds. Because nothing that happens on that crowded of floor has any relevance to anything that happens to him in the NBA. Like, there was a play where I froze it, and I was like, okay, well, unless he's Michael Jordan, he can't score here. And then when you dig into some of Cole Anthony's numbers, they're actually pretty good. They're good, yeah. He Good touch from the free throw line, 75%, 35% from three. The field goal percentage on twos. So I can't figure – like he – I'm going to watch him some more this weekend. He's like the great mystery, and he doesn't really at 6'3 match to the Jazz. But I think there might be a chance that he has been overly criticized in this draft in a way that's not fair because – like, but I, I'll tell you what. I always look at two numbers on players – and this is why Cole Anthony has me completely perplexed, okay? So I always – I believe you've really got to have good transition numbers to be an NBA player. It shows athleticism. Mm-hmm. But the other one I'm always really curious about is isolation. Okay. So I'm watching Cole Anthony, and my thought is going to be – my thought was, all right, I got to go look at his transition numbers because I'm sure his isolation numbers are just awful because of the fact there's no room on that floor. You with me? Like that was yes, a logical deduction. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He's the worst transition player in the entire draft of like the top 30 picks. And he's like the fourth best isolation player. How does that happen? He's in the 92nd percentile of isolation on 61 attempts, which is kind of a lot. He's terrible on pick and roll, but that's because there was no space. And then on one thing I really like is unguarded threes because I think that – or unguarded catch and shoot because I think that players um, unguarded – like I, Cole Anthony's very rarely getting unguarded shots in North Carolina, and he's going to get – if he played for us next year, every shot would be unguarded. Mm-hmm. He's the third best unguarded catch and shoot player in the draft. The bigger one I think on all this goes back up to where we're talking about, like if you're Dennis Lindsay, you're Justin Zanuck, you're any GM – how do you think, like, we just both, are, both had the immediate reaction, right? So let's talk two of the players we've talked about, three of the players we've talked about the most here. Josh Green, Cole Anthony, Robert Woodard. Okay, we're the only podcast in the world that's going to talk about Robert Woodard as much as we just did. So we can. But, like, Josh Green, like, my concern on him is, wow, I saw no playmaking. I saw nothing with the ball in his hands. Right, because Nico Mannion had the ball in his hands all the time, which is fine. Nico Mannion's good. Like, that's the way it should be. And Sean Miller's offense – it's not Quinn Snyder's offense. Let's just say that. North Carolina's Roy Williams offense. He is, Roy Williams is an unbelievably great recruiter and has won a national championship as an unbelievably great recruiter. But like I watch Cole Anthony, like how do you tell whether yeah. 
that's an NBA player. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I do just from what I, I got on feel was that it was a lot of just Carolina being bad that he's getting in this time of, of year when it comes to the draft. Is there anyone yeah. else that excites you So I, outside of the players that we've talked about? The other one I think is super fascinating is Sadiq Bey. Love Sadiq Bey. So the, here's the – all right, I'm going to give you the flip side on Sadiq Bey. I have no idea what's right. Jay Wright runs a beautiful offense. Mm-hmm. They always have a stretch five, right? They have Omari Spellman a few years ago. Like Sadiq Bey is the one college player that I watched who I thought was dealing with space all of the time. How often does Sadiq Bey get his shoulder by somebody on that pick and roll? Like, I love Sadiq Bey because at 6'7", 220, he runs the pick and roll a lot. I like, I like Sadiq Bey because he's got a pretty good – his shooting numbers are really good. I didn't see Sadiq Bey pop off the screen. In fact, in the Mississippi State-Villanova game, that's when I fell in love with Robert Woodard is Robert Woodard was the one who, like, I was watching Sadiq Bey when Robert Woodard blew me away with his athleticism that day. I just think the NBA is so hard that if you don't have some sort of physical advantage or flip side, if you have a physical disadvantage, it's super hard for your skills to come across. So Sadiq Bey, I'm a little nervous, is actually athletically deficient compared to the guys he's going to guard, which makes me concerned that all the things I love about him will be able to show. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I do understand that. Because um, they do run, they run the offense that you would run well, not the offense, but it's more similar than, than what you're seeing from other teams. And it, I can see those concerns. I trust he's, he's going to be a better prospect out of Villanova than, um, who was it? Mikhail Bridges? Is that who they had? Yeah, Mikhail Bridges would be another player I absolutely loved and adored and was fabulously <laughs> like. So, like, it fits my model, right? Okay, like, well, there you go. Right, like, I absolutely, 100%, like, like, wait a sec, actually, there were the two bridges in that draft. I love the one who's on Charlotte and kind and was worried about the one who played at Villanova. But I, you know, is there enough other part of that game? I think Mikel Bridges and Josh Green. Josh Green are similar. Like, I think Josh Green's really going to be able to defend in the league. I love Josh Green next to Donovan Mitchell, actually. It's the Nico Mannion problem with me. I think I was too, too transfixed on watching Nico play now, against St. John's and just being shut down by, by a team that wasn't that, that good. Will Nico Mannion be all right in space? This is the Lamella Ball problem that you have at the top of the draft because they, they have similar, I'd say, playmaking ability, not, not to the same level, but what are you going to do – when it's not St. John's or when it's not a, an unmotivated guy on the other side when it comes to LaMelo. Right. Hey, it's, you know, I'll give David Thorpe credit. He's the only one who's come out with strong takes. He's just made the huge play for James Wiseman and an anti-play for LaMelo Ball. And the rest of us are dodging right and left and not putting a flag on the ground and talking about how Sadiq Bey is wonderful, but you're worried and how Robert Woodard isn't this, but is this like, it's that one of those drafts there. There are very few people that anyone's putting a flag in the ground on either way. And I'll give David Thorpe credit because he's put two huge flags in the ground. Last thing I want, and then uh, I'll let you go. Number two with the Warriors. 
By the way, actually, let me ask you one question. What do you think the chances are the guy we draft we've actually talked about? We've talked about like 100 players. Do you think there's any chance? That the I guy think so. Maybe like, one. You think so? I'm hoping. So here's the thing, David. I'm talking about a lot of prospects with Jay Billis, who we had on earlier in this podcast. Yeah, but you're clearly at the end of your list, by the way. <laughs> Mike Schmitz. I, I'm, I've got Mark Titus of Fox Sports coming on after you, so don't worry. I'm, you are not at the end he of the list. He wasn't available today. Okay, I got it. We talked to Jay-Z. I'm covering every single player. So I, I, I assume I'm getting someone and I can pull that audio for the post podcast uh, and talk about him there. So don't worry. I think I've got all my bases covered. All right. Can I give a, can I give a locked on plug? Yes, please. So I actually think it's the coolest thing we do. Uh, the locked on podcast network has a local expert for every team and does a daily podcast. And we turn it into a five day mock draft. With Chad Ford, John Hollinger, Sports Illustrated's Jeremy Wu, plus our local experts, plus we have a bunch of guys that are draft experts, Josh Lloyd of Lockdown Fantasy Basketball, Brad Roland, and Brandon Clean on the desk. And we basically do a TV show podcast for five days. That is, and it's, it's the coolest thing we do. So if you want to live, if you need a weekend binge um, or whenever this releases to before the draft and you can kind of follow through the draft, you'll know all you need to know. After you're done listening to all those incredible guests that JP's had, go grab that. And it's pretty fun to listen to. And the number two pick of the draft in the NBA lock draft, which you, mock draft, which you just asked me, they took Anthony Edwards. Um, Lamella went one and they took Anthony Edwards, Wes Goldberg, who's really, really good as our lockdown warriors host. And his feeling was, the youth of Edwards has the most upside potential that the criticisms of him are probably a little unfair um, lack of feeling things are due to age and that he's the player that would develop uh, the best if they had to keep him and had probably the most trade value. How do you think that factors when it comes to actually playing basketball games and, and we're looking at the West and the Warriors are, are another team that the jazz need to contend with. Uh, they're going to be really good this year because there's a guy named Steph Curry who's revolutionized the game and he's going to be healthy. So they're going to be really good. I think the most interesting one for the West, frankly, is whether Miles Turner gets moved for Drew Holiday. And Miles Turner seems to me to be about the perfect center for Zion Williamson. Um, and, you know, Zion's a non-shooter and Miles Turner is a shooter. And then both of them are rim defenders. That seems like a pretty incredible match. Um, and then does Chris Paul go to Phoenix? That would be three teams below the jazz that are suddenly making um, pretty big inroads to getting better. So where does that set up the jazz? Let's see what Dennis and uh, Justin pull off this week and we'll know better. Look at you. That's a pro evasive. That's a dodge. You stiff arm me. Well, I'll, I'll still take our two young guys, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm not in the school that the, I think the idea that the game's moving away from Rudy is one of the more laughable concepts I've ever heard. Uh, the game's moving away from not very good centers. But when you're the best defensive center in the world and you are a dominant rim roller, then I'm pretty certain that you are uh, uh, still have great value in this league. And Donovan was pretty outstanding and, frankly, on the natural trajectory of what you'd expect out of him uh, from what we saw at uh, in the bubble. See, that's the locked on that I wanted. There you go. Radio voice of the Utah Jazz, as well as locked on jazz and all the Locked On properties, Locked On NBA as well. David Locke. David, thank you so much. My pleasure. You do a great job, buddy. Great show.